Wow, it's, uh, it's great to be here, right? It's awesome. Uh, we were really questioning if this would happen, so it's really good to be back and to, to gather together. It's a little different, right? A little weird. Uh, everything's weird in 2020. Uh, I want to announce to you real quick, I think, uh, before we get started, the uh, Disciple Conf is coming up, uh, and that's March, so we just saved the date. Uh, this is missions, right? So we're talking about going to the world and taking the gospel to the world, uh, and that we all are about that. That's what we're to be doing. Uh, but in order for that to be a reality, uh, you got to be prepared to do that. And the way we prepare to do that is through discipleship. Uh, and we we not only uh, want to do that ourselves, but we want to reproduce reproducers uh, because the way that we bring glory to God uh, is by producing much fruit. And the only way to produce much fruit is to reproduce reproducers, right? Uh, and so as we take the gospel to the world, we've got to be discipling people. And uh, that's what this conference is about, three conferences that the Living Faith Fellowship does. This is one of them. Uh, there's a, a Bible doctrine conference in New Philadelphia, Ohio in the fall. This one in the spring uh, is in Cartersville, Georgia. Uh, a lot of the folks from Oakland Heights Baptist Church are here tonight. I think there's about 20 of them. I don't know if they're, I know there's a few of them right here. I don't know if they're all in this room or not or in different rooms or where they're at. Uh, yeah, Thomas is back here. Thomas and Amber are back here. Uh, but I, I know these guys would love to have you join them in March uh, to talk about discipleship. COVID's going to be gone. I heard somebody promise that would happen, right? Uh, if he got elected, it would be gone. So he got elected, so it's gone. Uh, sorry, I digress. Uh, no, so uh, it's going to be good. Uh, we want you to come, join us, be there. We're going to talk about uh, discipleship and the importance of it in our lives. For me, you know, man, I, I know, I just, you, you just prayed it. We get, we get distracted, we get, lose our focus. I, you know, as a pastor, I see shiny things that promise great uh, results, and, and, you know, have a tendency to get drawn away. What this does for me every year uh, is just an opportunity to refocus on the biblical mandate that we have uh, to, to lead people to Christ and to disciple them and see them lead people to Christ and disciple them. And so I hope you'll come. Uh, and these guys will treat you right in, in Cartersville. Uh, James D. Coker's their pastor. He's uh, the greatest pastor in the world. Uh, I might be a little biased, but I think that. So uh, plan to be there, okay? And that was weak. Thanks, Jeff. Jeff's coming. Uh, Jeff and I will be there. The rest of you, come on too, okay? Uh, so I, I'm glad to be here. I'm thrilled to get to come and, and share with you again. I know a lot of folks are joining online right now uh, around the country and, and around the property. Uh, I think there's more people in mission focus outside this room uh, than there are inside this room, uh, which is, is it's cool in one way. Uh, it's awesome that it's, that it's spreading and going around the nation. And so I know lots of churches, our church indicators watching and uh, I think there's other groups around. I know Randy Copeland told me today he would be watching and lots of folks. So it's, that's, that's great. It's great to be able to be here and get to talk about what God wants to do in and through us. And you know, I really believe, I really believe uh, that God wants to do something incredible through every person in this room. I, I really believe that, and, and I, I know God knows that, uh, and my goal tonight is to convince you of that, uh, that he wants to do something. There's a, there's a guy, this friend of mine, he's a little charismatic, both in doctrine and in personality, uh, and he calls me, and, and every time I see his name is Sebastian, I only have one friend named Sebastian, uh, and every time he calls me, I see his name come up on my phone, I know immediately what I'm going to hear when I answer the phone, he's going to say two things, he's going to ask me, how are you? Okay, I can deal with that one. Uh, but, but when he follows it, he always follows it with mighty man of God. How are you, mighty man of God? And, and you know, that puts me in a conundrum. Uh, you know, I, I, I'm in a conundrum because, especially in 2020, you know, I want to say, life sucks. <laughs> but I can't say life sucks when he just called me a mighty man of God, right? Life can't suck if you're a mighty man of God, right? 
that this can't be possible. These two things can't go together. And that's kind of the mentality that we have, right? If you're a mighty man of God, man, you must have everything together. You've got no problems. You are the most awesome dude that, that, that there has ever been. And, and, I, and I'm sure there's some guys like that, but, but I'm not that guy. I'm not that guy. I'm the most least likely guy to be a mighty man of God. Uh, but, but, you know, I, I'm, I'm thankful tonight that, that I have an extraordinary God who will take an ordinary guy and use him to do mighty things. And I believe there's some keys to that. And that's what I want to talk about tonight is, is how can we be mighty men and women? All right, I'll, I'll, I'll try to throw that in there occasionally to remind you that I'm not being, you know, gender biased here. Uh, that, that God wants to use all of us. He wants to use every one of us to accomplish some great things in his kingdom. And, you know, that I, I want to talk about that tonight. And, and just real honest with you, there was a guy who was here last year out of our church. He stood here on the stage and shared with you uh, a young man named Brandon Smith. Uh, awesome guy, man, uh, that, that, that God took. He was here last year, first of the year. He'd just gotten in from his mission field. Six months later, he laid down in the back of a church, back of Jay's church, just laid down on some chairs to take a nap, and he never woke up. Uh, 41 years old. Uh, and, you know, man, that just stuff like that, it's, it's, that's the kind of year, you know, it's been, 2020. Uh, and, and I, and I, I'll... I'll be honest with you, I get frustrated when I think about that, and I kind of get sometimes frustrated with God, and I'm thinking, what's, what's up, God? This guy's on a field that's tough, that nobody will go to. Uh, I'll talk about him as we go along, uh, but, uh, but, but, you know, what I want us to see is that there's people like that in this room. There's people like Brandon. Brandon hated standing on this stage and talking because he just terrified him. Uh, he didn't want to do that. He didn't want to be in the limelight. He was a guy who was the least likely among us. Uh, but God used him to do some mighty things. Not many people really even appreciated uh, what, what he did. But uh, I, I think God wants to use his life and his story, uh, along with the scriptures. Obviously, we're going to talk about the word of God, to encourage us to, to be that kind of guy, a mighty man of God, regardless of where God calls you to, to step up and follow him and be obedient and see the inherent value in what God's called you to do because of who called you to do it, God. So let's talk about what it means to be a mighty man of God. And I'm going to use, obviously, the, uh, David's mighty men. Uh, I think most of us are familiar with the story back in 1 Samuel chapter 22. We'll, we'll start in 1 Samuel 22. We're going to end up in 2 Samuel chapter 23. So you're probably better off for you to go there. Second Samuel, but 1 Samuel 22, David's, you, you know the story, right? He's, he's fleeing from Saul. Saul's attempting to kill him. Uh, you know, he's, David's been anointed king, but, but Saul is the ruling king. He's the guy who's on the throne. And, and David has fled to the, the cave at Adullam, and, and these men come out. There's 400 men. They come out to join themselves. Small number of people. He certainly was the, the minority. There's, there's 37 of them that are counted as David's mighty men. And there's some general things the Bible tells us about them. We're going to see a, a few general principles about being a, a mighty man or a mighty woman of God, and, and then we'll talk about some specific principles seen by, by one of those specific individuals when we get over to, to 2 Samuel. But just some general principles. You know, the, the Bible tells us here, 1 Samuel 22, uh, David therefore departed thence and escaped to the cave of Adullam. And when his brothers and all his father's house heard it, they went down thither to him. And, and everyone that was in distress, and everyone that was in debt, and everyone that was discontented gathered themselves unto him. And he became a captain over them. Uh, and there were with him about 400 men. 
Uh, these, these weren't the, the rich guys. These weren't the nobles. These weren't the statesmen. These weren't the, the, the most popular uh, of, of the society that went out to, to be with David. They, they were ordinary men. They were, they were guys who had issues. Uh, they were the people who were in debt, and they were the people who were distressed, and they were the people that were dis- discontented. And when, you know, when I think about that, I, I think about what God wants to do. He, he's looking for people like that, that, that are in debt, that recognize that, that because of what Christ has done in, in me, I have a debt. You know, Paul said, I'm a debtor, both to the, to the Jews and to the Greeks. I have a debt. to. I, I've received the message of the gospel of Jesus Christ. I've been born again. I, I know my eternity is secure. I, I can face tomorrow because I know Christ lives. I have a debt to people who, who don't know that. And he comes later, Romans 13, and, and Paul talks about, oh, no man, anything except, except to love him. Because that's a debt that can never be repaid. The kind of love I received from Jesus Christ, that, that's a debt that can, can never be repaid. I'm continuously in debt. And, and you know, if I, if I want to be a mighty man, I need to recognize a, a mighty man or a mighty woman. I need to recognize that I have a debt. I, I need to be someone who, who is in distress, who recognizes that, man, we, we live in a world that, that uses the name of Jesus Christ as a byword, as a curse word, is, that he doesn't get the glory that's due his name. And, and that should distress me, right? In Romans chapter 8, Paul talks about that the, the creation groans and travails, waiting for the coming of the Lord, right? And I, you know, a lot of times we go through a year like we've been through, and, and we want the coming of the Lord because we want to get out of our misery. I, I think that's bad motivation. We should want the coming of the Lord so that he gets his glory, right? That, that he is exalted, that he's lifted up. And Romans 8 goes on to say that it's not just creation that groans and, and it's distress over that, in distress over that, but it's, it's also, us also. Those of us who have received the first fruits of the Spirit, the Spirit of God lives within us. We, we see that and we, we groan and we travail and we long for that, discontented. I, I love the, the psalm that we read a moment ago as, as we were singing and talking about giving praise. And verse 9 says, where he satisfieth the longing soul and, and filleth the hungry soul with goodness. Uh, it, it goes with what we're talking about, discontented. I, I'm not satisfied with what this world has to offer. I, yeah, you know, most of you are... Or, or half my age or less in this room, I, I promise you this world has nothing to offer. There's no value in, in what it has to offer us. We, we need to be discontented with, with this world and this world system and the God of this world such that it motivates us just like these men. Recognize what they did. They left the, they left the ruling king, the guy who was seated on the throne, and they went to join themselves to the anointed king, the guy who God had anointed to be the king, but yet he hadn't yet taken the throne. That's what we need to do. We need to leave the God of this world, this world system, this American dream, this, this stuff that, that everybody outside of these walls, when you leave this building, that, that's pouring into your heart and into your mind and trying to convince you that there's fulfillment and contentment and there's joy, that you can, you can find a, a, all that you look for in this world system. There's, there's nothing there for us. The lust of the flesh, the lust of the eyes, the pride of life, those things, there's no contentment, there's, there's no fulfillment there. If I want to be mighty for God... The, I've got, to, I've got to leave the God of this world. And I've got to go to the, 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 God that, the, the God that has been anointed, the Lord Jesus Christ, the rightful one that has the throne. And, and listen, I think we, we need to understand something. You, you, I mean, do you think these guys could live in both worlds? I mean, you know, you think that they could, they could be with Saul and they could be with David too? You know, with, with Saul through the week and then on the weekends, David's, you know, David's the king? Now, this was, this was a once for all. This was, this was a sellout. This is, 
I'm all in. This was, I'm forfeiting everything to to go and follow the rightful king. I'm going to leave this usurper of the throne and I'm going to go to the one that has been anointed. In fact, when we get over to 2 Samuel 23, that's that's how he's referred to as the anointed one. Not Not a popular decision. So there's, there's some general things, you know, we need to, we need to see ourselves as, as in debt to the world and, and in distress, looking for the glory of God, discontented with what this world system has to offer and, and leave because of that, this world system and the God of this world and, and align ourselves with the rightful King, the Lord Jesus Christ. Walk away from the things of this world and sell out for Him, give ourselves completely to Him. And for his kingdom to rule in our lives. There's, there's some guys that are mentioned. When you get over to 2 Samuel 23, it's interesting to me. When, when you read this, it's actually the, the end of David's life. And it says actually that these are his last words. If you read the whole thing, we won't take time to do that tonight. But as you start in, in 2 Samuel 23, early in the, the, the first verses, it, it refers to these as his last words. And it's interesting, there's a lot of things that, that are said about David's life after this. But this is the way that God refers to this. And and as he begins to talk, he's, he's clearly talking about the second advent, and, and he's speaking of the Lord Jesus Christ, and there's, there's so much that we can learn about that. And what I want us to see is that, that when David comes to the end of his life as a type of Christ coming to the end of time in, in the second advent, what he's going to be recognizing is those people who have, have done just that. They left the God of this world, and they, they sold out to the, the rightful king, the Lord Jesus Christ. And they lived lives mightily for him. They were ordinary people. They were just common people. They were people who, who had issues, but, but they were willing to surrender to him and allow him to do incredible things through their lives. Uh, an extraordinary God taking ordinary people and doing incredible things in and through them. Uh, that's who I want to encourage us to be tonight. And, and so there's, there's several guys that, he's, that he mentions as you walk down through the text. We're going to just look at one of them because I really identi- identify with them. There's a dino, the Ezanite, and he, he kills 800 men at one time. That dude's, that dude's some kind of stud. I, I don't really identify with him. Uh, uh, Eliezer Ahoite, you know, he fought so long that the sword clave to his hand. Uh, yeah, I probably don't really identify with that guy, but, uh, but there's, there's, there's this other guy. His, his name is Shama. He's, he's the son of Aji. And, and, he, and, and what he ends up doing is uh, he ends up fighting for a bean field. Look what it says. And after him was Shammah the son of, I mean, 2 Samuel 23, verse number 11. Uh, after him was Shammah the son of Aji, the Herorite. And the Philistines were gathered together into a troop where it was a piece of ground full of lentils. And all the people fed, fled from the Philistines, but he stood in the midst of the ground and defended it. And slew the Philistines, and the Lord wrought a great victory. Shammah, uh, the son of Ag, he's, he's a great example. He's, he's the third one mentioned, as I mentioned a moment ago. Uh, Adino and, and Eliezer are mentioned. and uh, they, They're coming in, in these groups, and, and obviously it's, it's important that we do things together. We do things as teams. I love the way that your church uh, does things. Sam and I were talking today about the things going on in Boston and, and what's happening in Denver and, and different parts around the world, Vietnam, and Teams of people doing things together. We, we need each other. Uh, Ecclesiastes tells us that two are better than one, right? Uh, we need one another, and we need to, to serve together. We need to do things in teams. Even mighty men need others. For too long, uh, the church of Jesus Christ 
uh, has had men who thought they could stand on their own and, and do it on their own and do it without uh, the assistance and the help and the accountability of others. We need each other. and We need to, to do things as teams. And Shama is a guy who, who was a part of a team, like the disciples went out two by two, and, and Paul was always a part of a missionary team. Shama defends this, this piece of ground, this, this bean field. You know, when you think about it, you would think, man, that's probably not the most valuable asset. Right? In a time of war, that's, that's probably not the, the most prominent position to be in, uh, to be stuck in a bean field defending it. But Shama stayed in the field, and he defended the field, and he defeated the enemy. And, and ultimately, the Lord wrought a great victory. Now, you know, I think that, that God wants to do some great things through some ordinary people in some common places if we'll just let him. If we will value what he values, rather than than measuring things by our own metrics and what we think is important, if we'll allow him to be God, separate ourselves unto him, and allow him to govern and control our lives, and and allow him to dictate what we we do and where we serve, he can do some great things through us. There's some principles that I want us to see. I'll just take a few minutes of your time uh, and look at a few things about this guy, Shama, that I think make him a... Uh, an outstanding person, even though ordinary, God used him in great ways. The first thing I want us to, to see, if you want to be mighty, you need to understand the field. You need to understand your field. Uh, Shama is standing in this piece of ground, this, this lentil field. You know, Jesus Christ tells us that, that the field is the world. In, the, in, in Matthew 13, uh, he's explaining to his disciples the parable of the, the tares of the field. And, and he simply says in verse 38, the field is the world, and the good seed are the children of the kingdom, but the tares are the children of the wicked one. The field is the world. So, so here's the thing. What we, we must understand about the field is, regardless of where you're at, if you're in the world, you're on the field. There's a lot of people who have destination disease, right? They're, they're thinking, you know, I'm going to do something great. I'm going to be a mighty man of God later, you know, when I get to that place, when I'm in that destination. But in reality, you're in the field. We're on the field right now. The, the field is, is people. It's not projects. It's not programs. It's people. And we all have people around us every day. They're a little farther away now. They're six feet, but they're still around. There's people in our lives. It's about relationships. And, and certainly, I'm all for building relationships to share the gospel. But, but I think we need to start with sharing the gospel because we have relationships. There's people in our lives, I would dare say all of us have people in our lives who don't know Jesus Christ. We need to understand that, that we're on the field right now. In our lives right now, in the places where we work, in the places where we, we work out, in the, the places where we recreate and have fun, we're, we're on the field right now. The field is the world, so unless you're, you're, you're outside the world, then, then if, you're, if you live outside the world, you're off the hook. But if you live on the planet, we have a responsibility. We need to understand that. You know, Jesus and his disciples, the story in John chapter 4, remember, they must needs go through Samaria, right? And Jesus encounters this Samaritan woman along the way, and they're all blown away, first of all, that he goes through Samaria, but then that he would have this conversation with this woman at this well, and the disciples leave him, and they go into the city of Sychar, and they go to get some food, and when they come back, Jesus has had this conversation. He's revealed to this woman who he is and who she is, and, and she's believed in him. And, and now she's going into the city of Sychar to, to, to let the, the city know what's happened to her. 
The disciples show up and, and they want to give Jesus some food. And Jesus explains to them, I have meat to eat that you know not of. And, and, and they're all very confused about all of that. And, and, and as Jesus is explaining to them that, that his meat, that his substance, that, that, that what gets him through life is to, to do the will of the Father and to finish the work that, that he's been given to do. He, he explains to these disciples that he, he asked them a question. Say not ye there yet four months. I think it's on the screen. Say ye not there yet four months and then cometh the harvest. But I say unto you, lift up your eyes. And look on the fields. They are wide already unto harvest. What's happening is, is the whole city of Sychar is coming out of the city and, the, and it's coming to Jesus. And, and this woman who just met Jesus has, has gone there and and, and told them about him, and, and now they're all coming out. And, and, and what maybe we miss in the story is the disciples were also just in the city of Sychar, but they didn't bring anybody back with them. Nobody came back with the disciples. It took this woman who was, who was newborn to the faith to bring these women to Jesus Christ. And I wonder, you know, there's, there's this... There's this discrimination between the Jews and the Samaritans, and, and they didn't really like the Samaritans, and they didn't really think much of them. I, I'm wondering if they, if they devalued those people such that they, they didn't even want to tell them about Jesus. And I think sometimes as believers in Christ, we, we have a tendency to, to do that. We have a tendency to devalue where, where God's put us. Maybe we look at the field that he's given us as a, a lentil field, and it's just a field of beans, and it, it really isn't very valuable. It really isn't very important. But it is. It's the field that God's placed us in. We need to understand that and, and see the value of that. Because God's, God's going to challenge some of us to go to some places that are incredibly difficult. You know, my friend Brandon that I was telling you about uh, a few minutes ago, I won't mention where he was specifically uh, for fear of, of, of it getting to some folks that would harm those who were working with him. But he was in a very difficult place, suffice it to say. Uh, a place where where it took incredible time to build relationships. And, and because it took so long, uh, there's, there's those of you here who, who've experienced that. Your church has, has had people involved in places like that where it takes incredible time to build relationships, to reach just one person, to get the opportunity to share the gospel of Jesus Christ with just one person. And because, because of that, there's not a lot of accolades. There's not a lot of people excited about what you're doing. Hey, you know, my, my friend Brandon was incredibly undervalued. And I, I'm ashamed to say it, it probably took his death for me to realize how undervalued he was. But God spoke to me out of this passage after his death about him that he's a mighty man of God. And I'm convinced that in 41 years he accomplished enough that God just said, you're good, man. You're good. You know, my, my working theory with 2020 is this. This is an aside, but I think, I think God's taking all the good ones home. And he's leaving the rest of us to manage the shutdown. And that's kind of the way I look at it. And Brandon was definitely one of the good ones. Brandon was a guy that, uh, that, that fought in a field that was undervalued, that, that nobody encouraged him, nobody wanted to help him, nobody wanted to support him, nobody, nobody said anything good about him. But you know what? He never quit. He never stopped. He just kept going. He just kept doing it. People wouldn't give him money. He said, that's okay. I'll figure it out. People wouldn't encourage him. He said, that's okay. I'll, I'll just keep serving. I think we all have to, to come to the place that we understand that the world is the field and there's inherent value. When David comes to the end of his life, he certainly recognized the value of a lentil field. 
So much so that he uses his last words to call out Shama, a guy who fought for a lentil field, a field of beans. But he said it was valuable. And I think we have to have a change in what we count as success. Success is found in in finding the place that that God has you to serve and and valuing that and, and serving that, allowing Christ to lead us. Certainly, I would encourage every one of you to to work under the authority and the leadership of your local church and your pastors. Uh, But uh, we need to to understand that God has difficult fields and and fields for us all to serve in. We need to understand that we're in a field now, and and God's going to call us to places that are going to be difficult. The second thing I want you to see, if you want to be mighty, you've got to understand the field. You've got to stand when nobody else stands. Uh, what, What the Bible tells us here in 2 Samuel that, that everybody else fled, that, that, that all of them fled from the, the Philistines, but, but Shammah stood. When, when everybody else ran, Shammah stayed. You know, there's going to be opportunities when God calls you to a place, when God calls us out to serve, even if that's in this place, there's opportunities to flee, to run. There's, there's probably times when, when, when it makes logical sense to flee, to, to get out, to go, and to run, and to get away. But if we've been called by God, we've got to stay and fight. Shammah stayed. He, he stayed and fought. If we're going to be a mighty man of God, then, then we've got to be willing to, to stick with it and stick in and to stay and, and to be where God's called us to be regardless of what comes against us. You know, Justin was just up here sharing with you. Justin's from our church in Cartersville. And, or Cartersville. No, I'm indicator. That's right. For all you people in Decatur, sorry. I just get confused. I'm old. Decatur. That's where we're from. You know what? I, he, he probably, if he was honest with you, would tell you I'm a jerk. Because when he, when he tells me he's called to go somewhere... Tell me about that. Tell me about that calling. Oh, that's cool. Write that down. Oh, no. Let me give you that back. And you write that down again. And you write that down in more detail. Because I think it's so important that, that we know from the Word of God that God has called us to do what He's called us to do. That, that we have in, in, in the written words of God, because there's going to be opportunities to quit. There's going to be times when, when, when you're going to question decisions. There's going to be times when you, when you doubt in the dark what God showed you in the light. And, and I know that's true because it's happened in my life regularly. I've only made a few moves in ministry in my life, but, but every time I've, I've questioned and I've gone back and said, man, why in the world did I do this? But when I have the Word of God and I can go back to the Word of God and I know God put me where I'm at, then I have the the wherewithal to stick to it. What is it? It's so easy for us to quit on God. It's so easy. We're, we're tempted to, to walk away and to quit. And, and when others flee, we're tempted to, to run with them. It, there's times when it, it looks like it makes sense for us to do that. But if we're going to be a mighty, a mighty person of God, we've got to stand when everybody else runs. Now, we've been, in a, we've been through a year. I, I don't know what it's been like in Kansas City. I know what it's been like in Decatur, Alabama. When a lot of people... I fled. There's a, there's a lot of people who've, who've said, it makes no sense for you to gather together and worship Jesus Christ. And we've had to make decisions about that. And those things come along. It's not just in worldwide pandemics. 
1 Corinthians 15, 58 is my favorite verse. Therefore, my beloved brethren, be steadfast, unmovable, always abounding in the work of the Lord. For as much as you know your labor is not in vain in the Lord. Be steadfast, unmovable, always abounding. What does it take to make us quit? If I'm going to be mighty for God, I, I've got to stand when everybody else runs. I, I've got to be willing to stick with it. I've got to be willing to not quit. A life in service to the Lord is not easy. But it's the only life. So if we're going to, if we're going to be mighty, we've got to understand the field. We, we've got to stand when, when no one else stands. We've got to stand in the midst of our field. That's what it says about Shammah. He, he, he didn't just stand in the field, but he stood in the midst of the ground and defended it. Uh, he, he was right in the middle of the action. Uh, he wasn't hanging around the fringes. He, he, he found the field that God had for him, and he got involved in it. He got in the middle of it. I'm going to tell you again about my friend Brandon. Uh, he, he was a guy who grew up, you know, I'm, I know Alabama probably has a reputation. Would you agree? Yeah. It's not the, uh, you know, and it's probably not a good one. Uh, we do have a good football team. Give us that. Brandon grew up in North Alabama. He grew up in a, in a place, and I know this means nothing to you, is Eva, Alabama. I mean, of all the places in Alabama that deserve a bad reputation, Eva deserves it. I mean, it's, it's, there's a sign that says nowhere. Eva is just beyond the sign, right? It's just beyond nowhere. This guy grew up in that little town. He went to a little Christian school. And God took him to a part of the world, and, and again, I'm careful to, 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 to speak of the place, but where language is very, very incredibly difficult. Uh, but this guy went, and, and he learned the language of these people. And, and that's one of the reasons why it's so hard for me to understand God's, what God's doing in the midst of this. Why would he take this guy at 41 years old when he knows the language, he lives the culture, he went and he lived among the people. He got in the midst of the culture. He, he was a guy who could, who could go to their places of worship and, and no one even would even know that he was there because he, he looked like them, he carried himself like them, he, he spoke the language like they spoke the language. Uh, he, he immersed himself in the culture. He, he gave himself completely to it. That's what we have to do if we're going to reach a culture with the gospel of Jesus Christ. He ate what they ate, he lived where they lived, he did it with meager means. He, he lived like them. If we're going to be mighty for God, we're going to have to sell ourselves out. We're going to have to be willing to be uncomfortable. We're going to have to be willing to, to step outside of our comfort zones and, and immerse ourselves into cultures to reach them with the gospel of Jesus Christ. I think about the Moravians who, who sold themselves into slavery so that they could reach the slaves with the gospel of Jesus Christ. Where are the Moravians of today? We would be willing to give everything. He got right in the middle of things. He, he immersed himself. Paul said, I, to the weak I became weak that I might gain the weak. I, I made all things to all men that I might by all means gain, win some. He saved some. He, he's looking to involve himself. If we're going to be mighty for God, that, that, that's the place we've got to go. We've got to be willing to immerse ourselves into it. We can't just hang around the fringes. We can't even wherever you're at, let me, I, I want to make sure it's not just, again, the destination disease. It's, it's right here in this church. It's in the church where you're watching from. Quit sitting around and wait, waiting to be discovered. Get involved. Find out what needs to be done. Involve yourself in the work of the ministry. Do whatever. I'll promise you there's a job that needs to be done. And you can get involved, and you can do it. Don't think that, that, that it'll happen someday. It, it needs to happen today. 
and, and wherever God's placed you. And if you're faithful where He's placed you, and you're right in the middle of things here, then God will count you faithful, and He can pull you up from here and put you in another place. But it won't happen there if it's not happening here. If we want to be mighty for God, it's not, it's not extraordinary things, it's just being an ordinary person who's willing to be used by an extraordinary God. Get in the midst of the field, and then he, he didn't just stand in the midst of the field, he fought for it, he defended the field. There's a war for this world. It's a fight. It's not a world war. It's a war for the world. And there's an enemy who, who, who battles against us. And we're going to have to be willing to fight, to defend the field. Uh, I love Proverbs 31. We, we understand, I think, that, that as he talks about the virtuous woman, he's, he's not talking about just... The, the ladies uh, in the room, but he's speaking of the church of Jesus Christ and, and, and the virtuousness of that woman. And, and what he says about a virtuous woman is that she considereth a field and, and buyeth it, and with the fruit of her hands she planteth a vineyard. You know, the, the world is the field, but, but, but as a virtuous woman, what we need to do is buy a field. We need to buy a field. We need to, to find a place to, to consider, to, to count the cost. Not an emotional decision, but to, to go all in and, and buy it, to, to commit to it. If you're here at Midtown, obviously that, that place right now is, is Kansas City. And you, you need to buy into this field. I, I don't think God's going to leave all of you here because there's three billion people out there who've never heard the message of the gospel of Jesus Christ. He's not going to pile up all of the resources here in this one place. He's not going to pile it all up in Decatur, Alabama, or in New Philadelphia, Ohio. But wherever we're at, we need to go all in. We need to buy the field. Commit to it. Give everything that we have. And with the fruit of our hands, reaching people with the gospel of Jesus Christ, sowing seeds and working the fields, that's what we're called to do. That's hard work, isn't it? I grew up in North Georgia. I'm not from Alabama. Don't put that reputation on me. On a little farm. I know working on a farm, that's hard work. It's a lot of work, man. we We raised cattle and we would raise corn to feed the cattle. A lot of summers... When I was growing up, I would walk into a hundred acre, that's a big piece of ground, if you're not familiar. And when I say this, it sounds a little, as I'm saying it in my head, it's freaking me out. I would walk into a hundred acre cornfield with a hoe. And some of you go, whoa. A hoe is a device with which you <laughs> remove weeds from the crops. I know it has multiple connotations, but I'm speaking of the... The, the tool. I knew some of you would be confused by that. I think I was doing something untoward in the cornfield. I'm sure some people did that. I don't know. I digress. It's a lot of work. You're going to work the field. You've got to go all in. You, you, you can't you know, the thing about being a farmer and, and that's the reason, one reason God uses the agricultural analogies. You, there, there's not a lot of rest. You've got to work while the crops are there. There's a very short period between when the harvest is ripe and the harvest is ruined. 
My, my dad would always say, we, we, we have to make hay while the sun shines. And that's what Proverbs 20, 24 alludes to. It says, I went by the field of the slothful, and by the vineyard of a man void of understanding. And lo, it was all grown over with thorns and nettles, and, and, co- uh, and nettles had covered the face thereof, and the stone wall thereof was broken down. Then I saw and considered it well. I looked upon it and received instruction, yet a little sleep, a little slumber, a little folding of the hands to sleep. And so shall thy poverty come as one that traveleth, and thy want as an armed man. He, he, working the field, we don't have time to, to rest. We, we, we can't be asleep. We, we can't even be slumbering. We, we can't be slothful. We can't be lazy. It, it's work to, to work the fields. We, we've got to buy the field. We've got to go all in. We, we don't have time to rest. We don't have time to slumber and sleep or, or even fold the hands. He says, if we do, then, then our poverty is going to come like, like one that traveleth. It, it might take time, but it's going to get there. It's going to come. Your want is going to come like an armed man. He, he's speaking of that, that time when we will stand before our commander, the Lord Jesus Christ, just as Shema is standing before David, and he's, and he's re- receiving these, these accolades. We're going to stand before Christ one day, and, and if, if we've been lazy, if we've been slothful, if we've not bought in, if we've not gone all in, then our poverty is going to come. Our want is going to come. We, we've got to go all in. We've got to stand in the midst of the field. We, we've got to defend the field. We've got to fight for the field. Wherever God's put us, it's, it's, it's where you're at right now. Uh, again, for a lot of you in Midtown, it's, it's right here in Kansas City. Those of you from Cartersville, it's Cartersville, Georgia, Decatur, Alabama, New Philadelphia, Ohio. It, the field is the world, and, and that's where we need to buy in. And, and if God chooses to relocate us, then praise the Lord, that's awesome. But until then, let's fight the field. Let's, let's defend the bean field that God's given us, regardless of what anybody else thinks about it, regardless of what value anyone else puts on it. God values it. Let's look forward to the day when we stand in His presence. Let's look forward to His commendations. If I want to be mighty, if you want to be mighty, Understand the field. Stand when no one else stands. Stand in the midst of the field. Defend the field. Ultimately, we, we have to defeat the enemy. That's what it says about Shammah. He defended, he defended it, and he slew the Philistines. He defeated the enemy. Again, it's a fight. There's an enemy. There's three that the Bible tells us that we have. The world, the flesh, and the devil. And if we're going to be mighty for God, we've got to defeat all three. There's a world that, that is alluring to us, that, that is seeking to draw us out, that's seeking to, to draw us after the things of it. There's a, a course of this world. There's a God of this world who seeks to distract us, to get us off track from what God has called us to do. The, the flesh, the, the greatest enemy that, that I battle against is my flesh. I, I struggle with me. More than anything else, the devil certainly does not want to see people come to faith in Jesus Christ. He doesn't want to see your life be used as a a mighty warrior for God. He doesn't want you to be a mighty person of God. He's seeking to to sow tares among the wheat in that same passage in Matthew 13. The the Bible tells us the enemy sowed tares among the wheat. when, When did he do that? Oh, he did that while, while men slept. 
While, while we're distracted, while we're lazy, while we're forgetting about the task, the, the same thing we saw in Proverbs 24, 33, yet a little sleep, a little slumber, a little folding of the hands, any, anything that distracts us and draws us away from the mission that God's given to us opens up an opportunity for the enemy. And, and then our field is, is described like Proverbs 24, the thorns and the, the nettles are covering and the stone wall thereof is broken down. It, it doesn't look like the place that God's called us to. It doesn't look like we're working that field, that we're sowing seed and, and reaping and, and planting vineyards, churches, for the honor and the glory of God. If we want to be mighty, we've got to defeat those enemies who seek to, who seek to destroy us. And the, the, the last thing, I think it may be the most important thing, is the Lord brought a great victory. The Lord brought a great victory. You know, we need to realize we're no good on our own. I can't do it. You know, the key to being a mighty man of God, I think, is realizing you can't be a mighty man of God on your own. I don't have that ability. I can't achieve that goal. It's coming to the place of, of recognizing that I'm weak, that I am no good, there's no benefit in me, and that in my flesh there's no good thing. So to such an extent that I'll, I'll turn to the true source of power, I, I tell our church all the time, you can never be too weak for God to use you, but you can be too strong. You can never be too weak for God to use you, but you can be too strong if, if we think we can do it in and of ourselves. And God can't use us. If we want to be mighty, we've got to become weak. If we want God to do something extraordinary through us, we've got to be willing to rely on Him. 1 Corinthians chapter 1, we, we're familiar. You see your calling, brother, now. Not many wise after the flesh, not many mighty, not many noble are called. God hath chosen the foolish things of the world to confound the wise, and God hath chosen the weak things of the world to confound those things that are mighty, and the base things of the world, the things that are despised. Hath God chosen, yea, the things which are not to bring to naught the things that are. Why? That no flesh should glory in His presence. God, God hasn't called many wise and, and many mighty and many noble. He's called some, but not many. I, I don't fit within that category. I fit within the weak and the, the base and the, the despised. But God wants to use us. God wants to use every one of us. There's no one in this room that God doesn't have an incredible plan for your life, and He wants to do something incredible through you. The question is, the question tonight simply is, will we choose to let Him do that? It's really up to us. God's going to let us choose if we're going to be mighty for Him. God's going to let us choose if He's going to take our ordinary life and do something extraordinary with it. I know that's His passion. I know that's His desire. And listen, everybody looking on, man may not consider it to be an extraordinary thing. My friend Brandon, nobody thought what he was doing was very incredible. But I'll promise you, God did. Because God put him where he was, 
in retrospect, and I'm ashamed to admit that it was in retrospect in my life, but in retrospect, when I look back, I realize that God chose the perfect place and the perfect plan for that guy who was just, just surrendered enough to believe Him. Just an ordinary guy. He wasn't some special ops guy who chose to just believe God, who chose just to step out in faith, to prepare himself, to go when God said go, to stay when God said stay, to value people that God values. And when the going got tough, he just kept going and kept believing and trusting. And God did great things through him. And God is no respecter of persons. He wants to do great things through you. You know, my own life is that kind of a story. I don't consider myself to be a mighty man of God. I remember the first time I walked into Decatur Baptist Church in 1987. There were a couple hundred people in the room, and I broke out into a sweat just walking into the room. Just anxiety being in a room with that many people. Today, I pastor that church. Not, not because I'm anybody. It doesn't make any sense. You just listen to me speak. You know it doesn't make any sense. <laughs> that's, that's just, God wants to use us. God wants to use you. Don't undervalue what He wants to do in your life. See yourself as as someone who's, who's in debt and distressed and, and be discontent with this world and, and walk away from this world system. Walk away from the, the, the one who has usurped the throne, the God of this world, Satan. Walk away from that world. Walk away from the American dream. Walk away from the lust of, of all of the things that this life has to offer and surrender your life to Christ. Buy that field. Go all in with reckless abandon. Give your life to what Christ has called you to do. And I'll promise you, at the end of it all, just like in Shama's life, the commander-in-chief will be pleased with you. And that's all that matters, right? Would you be willing to do that? Would you be willing to take your ordinary life and let God do something extraordinary with it? Would you surrender to that? Would you make yourself available to that? That's my challenge to you tonight. I encourage you. Step out. Let God do what He wants to do. Let's pray. Father, we are so grateful tonight that You are such an incredible God. We're grateful that You love us. We're grateful that You desire to use our lives to bring honor and glory to Yourself. Father, we're grateful tonight that, that people in this room and in rooms around this country and around this campus have come tonight desiring for You to speak into their lives. And I, I pray You've done that. Father, I pray that You would cause us 
to be willing to hear you, to surrender to you, to, to offer ourselves to you, to allow you to do something great, something extraordinary, something mighty through us. Father, I know there's people in this room that you, you want to call out to take the gospel to the over three billion people around the world who've never heard. I, I know there's people that you want to call out to, to be serious about where they live right now and ter- telling their, their neighbors and their friends and their family about you. God, I pray that we would recognize what you've called us to, the seriousness of it, the field that you've placed us in, that we would sell out for it, that we would allow you to do something extraordinary through our ordinary lives.